Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. I'm going to conclude the series that we started. Um, This is part five of our series called Why. And uh, you may wonder why I'm sitting down this morning. Um, it's, I'm not injured. It's not, uh, I'm, I'm fine. I, uh, I just, I just want to sit and talk with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you this morning and answer and look at the question, why church? And I, I wanted to do that sitting down. I don't know why. I just felt like that was going to be the right move to do. So why don't you take out your Bibles And you can actually turn to two different passages this morning. One is Ephesians chapter 1, and the other is Hebrews chapter 10. We'll get to both of them during the message today. This is kind of fun. I might do this more often, this whole sitting down. I can lean. That's that's kind of nice. Wow. Might not be so tired after I get done preaching if I do this more often. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 22 is where I'm going to ask you to turn. After you get there, let's make our faith declaration that we like to make. And then I'm going to pray over you and we'll get into what we have to talk about this morning. If you guys will put it up on the screen today, our declaration of faith. If you're watching online, you'll see this as well. Let's go ahead and declare this out loud over ourselves and join in one and with one another. Let's declare this out loud. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. We believe that. We believe that we're growing in the things of God this morning. We're going to end this series, and I trust that this series has been a help to you and it's been a blessing to you. I've heard a lot of really good feedback from people saying, oh, this series has been wonderful. So-and-so will call me and they'll say, my sister's watching in California or my sister's watching in Missouri. My brother down in Texas is watching online. People are, people are getting uh, blessed by this, and I hope that you have been gotten, yeah, you've gotten blessed by it as well. Um, we talked... At the beginning, I'm going to give you just a 30-second synopsis of everything that we talked about. We began by discussing the the state of our culture that we live in and the fact that the culture has changed dramatically over the past 30 to 40, even 50 years. We said that if we're going to effectively reach the culture for the kingdom of God, we're going to need to do so by understanding why we believe the things that we believe. And many of us have grown up in church and, and I know for myself, have taken for granted oftentimes the things that I believe. I've heard them for so many years that they've just become part of what I declare that I believe. But without careful um, inspection of those things, we can sometimes forget why we believe what we believe. And then it becomes hard for us to share our faith. We launched into this discussion by asking the question, why belief? We moved from there into the question, why truth? Why is, it, why is the truth a valid concept? We then asked the question, why the Bible? If the Bible uh, of, of, that we hold, this holy Bible, if we hold it so sacred, why do we hold it so sacred? What's so special about it? We then asked the question, why God? Why Jesus? Last week, we asked the question, why salvation? We discussed the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and we worked our way through the plan of salvation. And then we answered the question of why salvation. Why, why, why must we be saved? If you missed any of these, for whatever reason, I would invite you to go back onto hopeboon.com and look at the archive or go back on our Facebook page, and you can, you can keep up with us. Go back in the podcast. There's lots of different ways to, to get access to what we said in the previous weeks. 
But today we're going to end this serious, series, serious. <laughs> today we're going to end this series and subsequently set ourselves up for next weekend's message, by the way. Next weekend I'm preaching to you a message titled, The Church is in Good Hands. As we celebrate the 10 years that God has brought us from the start, October 6, 2013, in Blowing Rock School to where we are today, I can tell you that regardless of my leadership, regardless of Brienne and what we've done right and all the tons, mountains of things we've done wrong on the way here. Regardless of all that, the church has always been in good hands and it will always be in good hands because Jesus said, I am building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you don't want to miss that next week. And hopefully what we talk about today will set us up for that a little bit. So we're going to ask the question, why the church? We'll look a little bit at the mission of the church and the calling of the church and I want you to understand that I don't preach this message today from a sense of condemnation towards anybody. And I'm not preaching this message today at anyone. anyone. Um, I'm going to talk about why it's important that we be involved in God's church. And you need to know right at the beginning, I'm not, I'm not talking about any one person or any one family. I'm not preaching at anybody today. This is aimed at all of us, myself included, because we all need to hear it. The church, the body of Christ, the house of God needs to be prioritized above other things in our lives. And we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. We'll get into that further in the message today. Can I pray over you? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for the opportunity once again to come before your word. Lord, I thank you that the Bible says the entrance of your word gives light. This morning, Lord, would you illuminate our minds, speak to us, Holy Spirit, out of your word in ways that we can understand. Convict and strengthen our hearts, encourage us, and cause us to grow and go deeper into you this morning. We'll give you the praise and the thanksgiving for all of these things. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, say amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, and verse 23. I'm reading from the NIV this morning, and, and this is what it says. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything to and or for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God has placed everything under the feet of Jesus. We know this. We know that, that the Lord gave, that, 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 that God the Father put all things under the feet of Jesus. He gave Jesus all authority. You remember in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, after Jesus is risen from the dead and he looks at his disciples right, right before he gives them the great commission. You know the great commission, go into all the world and preach to God. Right before he does that in Matthew 28, he makes this statement. He says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. So we know, we understand that Jesus is the boss. He's the head. He's the king. There's no name higher than his name. He is the supreme ruler, the supreme deity over all of the universe. And Paul is exhorting us here in Ephesians 1, and he reminds us that God placed everything under Jesus' feet. He made him the authority, and he appointed him to be the head over everything for who? Who is Jesus given to? He's given to the church. And who is the church? His body. The fullness of him. I want you to, I want you to read your job description right here. If you're in the body of Christ, this is, this is, who, this is you. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You and I have an awesome and amazing responsibility as part of his church. It is his body. It's the fullness of him. Aren't you glad to be in the body of Christ Jesus this morning? Aren't you glad to be counted one of those faithful ones who's in his body in this world? Now, I cannot say that I love Jesus and simultaneously not love his body. That'd be like me telling my wife, I love her hand, and that's it. <laughs> I honey, I love, I love your fingers. They're so beautiful. I'm a little offended by the rest of you. 
but, I, but boy, those fingers are great. You see, we do that kind of stuff all the time. We don't think about it in those kinds of terms, but we do that all the time. Well, I really love Jesus. It's the church I struggle with. I really, well, I really love Jesus. I just, but I just, I just struggle with the church. Two weeks ago, in part three of our series, we said that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father in this earth. Do you remember that came from Hebrews chapter one? He, Jesus perfectly expresses God the Father. Well, as his body, you and I, are created to perfectly express him. If you don't believe me, go read John 17. I don't have time to get into it, but John 17, Jesus prays an amazing prayer uh, over himself and over his disciples and over us. And he says, Lord, I want them to be one as you and I are one. You remember in John 14, Philip asks Jesus, Lord, would you show us the Father? That'll be good enough for us. And Jesus says, Philip. It's almost like you can hear... Jesus' frustration in it. Philip, Phil, buddy, how long must I be with you, pal? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I believe that the heart of God is that in the same way that Jesus perfectly represents the Father in the earth, you and I are designed to perfectly represent him in the earth because he is the head and we are the body. I want you to sit and think and sit with that for a moment. Just think about that for a second. The reality of it and the responsibility of it. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little boring. And that's a great thing for a pastor to say right at the top of the message, right? I'm going to just take for just a couple of moments here at the beginning and just be a little academic with you. And how many of you don't mind to think this morning for just a second? Let's think. For the purpose of definition, I want to bring out a few definitions. For the purpose of definition, the meaning of the word church comes from two different Greek words. We're familiar with the second one, sometimes not as familiar with the first one. The first is the, is the Greek word kuriakon, kuriakon. Don't worry, there won't be a test. The second is the word ekklesia. A lot of us are probably familiar with ekklesia, but less familiar with kuriakon. Our English word church the phonics of that, the way we pronounce the word church, is derived from kuriakon, which was morphed into the Scottish language and the word kirk sometime in the dark ages. And then eventually that morphed into the English word church. Now the word kuriakon is, is interesting. It's a derivative of the word which means lord. So kuriakon very simply means belonging to the lord. So the, the English word church and the way we say church specifically means belonging to the Lord. We can firstly note that the church belongs to God. It is his holy possession. Now we'll see that expressed later in the message in some other places, but I want you to understand that for just a moment, that you belong to God. If you're part of the church, which we are, if you're saved this morning, you're part of the church, you're in the club, congratulations. Good to have you. There'll be an initiation later. You're gonna have to drink something silly. And it's, anyways. Frankie's in the back right now mixing the Kool-Aid. Don't worry, it's gonna be great. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, it, it is true. We belong to the Lord. We're God's possession. It's, it's his body, not mine. You see, sometimes, sometimes we as Christians, we fail the test when we, when we say something like this. Well, you know, I'm the church. No, no one Christian can say, I'm the church. We all collectively can say, we're the church. Because, you know, about, about 15 years ago, I, I used to hear people start to say this because they're trying to draw a distinction between church as the building and church as the body of Christ. And they say, well, you know, Pastor, we're, we are the church, meaning the people are the church. And that's correct. But then I heard people get off a little bit and go, well, you know, I am the church. I can have church anywhere I want to, anytime. I like to go have church in the woods, Pastor, because I am the church. No, you are not the church. You are a part of the church. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are his holy possession. Listen to this statement. 
from the theologian Guy P. Duffield. I know he, you've all heard of him. This is, this is from a book called Foundations in Pentecostal Theology. It's about 700 pages long. It's about this thick. And if you want to know what kind of a nerd I am, I brought this book on my honeymoon. <laughs> I really did. I thought to myself, we were getting ready to leave. We were getting ready to leave to go to Costa Rica for a week for our honeymoon. And I was like, I need, I need to bring like some reading material. And I need to read uh, at least on the plane, you know. And, uh, and so naturally... I grabbed the two and a half inch thick Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. I didn't read a lick of it, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> didn't read it at all. It's all right, though. Pura Vida, man. We were, we were in Costa Rica. It was great. But listen, <laughs> this is a quote from that book, Foundations of Pentecostal Theology, written in 1909 by Guy P. Duffield. He writes these words. When Jesus, in Matthew 16, 18 said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He placed emphasis not on the word church, but on the word my. The church is unique, not because it is called a church, but because it is the assembly of believers who belong to Jesus, who constitute his body. Now, the second word in our academic study, is the word ecclesia. Most of us have probably heard that. It may sound familiar to you. Compound of two words, ek and kaleo. Ek conveys the idea of an exit or a separation, being, being taken out of something. Kaleo is the word which means to call, to beckon, to invite, to summon. When the two words are joined, they form the word ecclesia, which describes those who are called and separated to a prestigious assembly. Let me read that for you again. When you combine those words, ecclesia describes those who are called and separated to a prestigious assembly. Listen to the words of one of my favorite preachers of all time, Pastor Rick Renner, as he describes the church from the second volume of his Sparkling Gems from the Greek, he writes this. The earliest examples of the word ecclesia are found in writings about Athens, where it was used to denote a prestigious assembly of Athenian citizens who regularly met to discuss civil matters. At these meetings, the distinguished citizens determined laws, debated public policy, formulated new policies, argued and ruled in judicial matters, elected the chief magistrates of the land, decided who should be banished, so on and so forth. To be called out from society and invited in to be a member of this assembly was a great honor. The reason the Holy Spirit chose the word ecclesia to describe God's people becomes more and more evident as one studies the subject. The new covenant meaning of ecclesia is very clear. The local church is a body of individuals who have been called out, called forth, and separated for the purposes of God. The church is God's assembly this is still Pastor Rick writing these words. The church is God's assembly in every town and in every city, composed of people who have been saved and called out to make eternal decisions that will affect the atmosphere of their local region. God never intended for the local church to be a simply quiet, hidden body of believers. Rather, he intended for a church to be his voice and ruling power in each community, a special assembly comprised of people who've been called out to make decisions that will impact the atmosphere of their local environment for God. That's a mouthful. God intends his church to be his voice in our community. You and I, as the body of Christ Jesus, have a responsibility to take his voice into our world. You know, Peter talks about this. He, he says, we've been called the oracles of God. How many of you have used the word oracles in the past 10 days? Probably nobody. 
What does it mean? It means a mouthpiece. You and I are called to be God's mouthpiece in our community. Called out as individuals, given a high honor to be called to this assembly called the church. It is a high honor and it is a high calling. God never intended us to be a hidden people, but rather the church is called, and I want you to take note of this, the church is called to shape history. The church is called to shape history. Now, there are people that reject this notion, but I reject their notion of rejecting this notion. And that is, the church is called to shape history. You and I are called to shape culture. You and I are called to be the, the God's governing voice in the community. What a responsibility and what a high honor. Amen. What a high honor. So let me ask this question. When is the church at its best? When is the church at its best? I'll give you two answers. Answer number one, when it's unified in its purpose. When it's unified in its purpose. When's the church at its best? When we are together in the purpose that God has called us to. Free of strife, free of division, free of all that kind of stuff that the enemy used to... To, to seek to divide. Number two, when it's mobilized in its vision. So when is the church most effective? When is the church at its best? When it's unified in its purpose. Now we know God blesses unity, right? I'm getting tired of sitting down right here. I kind of want to move, but that's all right. It's good. It's good. It's good for my flesh. Okay. Um, we know that God blesses unity. Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, it goes on to say. God commands his blessing upon his church unified in the purpose that he's called us to. So the church is at its best, number one, when it's unified in its purpose. Number two, when it's mobilized toward its vision. What is its vision? Souls. What is the vision of the church that God gave us at the, at, the, at the Great Commission? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus clearly defined for us what our mission and vision is, and that's to see every person that we possibly can come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So when we're unified in that purpose and when we're mobilized toward that vision, Pastor Chris Hodges explains this or says this, the church mobilized is the hope of the world. The church mobilized is the hope of the world. Why is that? Because we're not the hope of the world if we don't actually take what we have and go out and do something with it. We're the hope of us four and no more. All right? See, there's this, there's this very important component of the gospel that requires the church to be mobilized in the purpose that God gave to us. We can't just sit like a bump on a stump and wait for everybody to come to us. Amen. I want to read you this story from a gentleman named Jacob Alguero. I don't know him, but I follow him on social media. He's from Houston, Texas, and this is his story. He says, this is why I am pro-church. Doctors told my mother to abort me because I was likely to live with a life of disease. She went to a church instead of an abortion clinic. A woman there prophesied over her womb that day and said these words, one day this child will speak to youth all over the world. In 2023, God made good on that promise. And he lists all the places that their ministry has impacted for young people in just the year 2023. He goes on to say this, when all hope was lost, it was the church that instilled hope in my life. What would have happened to that man if that church hadn't been mobilized that day? If nobody had taken up the call from God to plant that church years before, if nobody had taken up the call from God to come to that church, if that lady who prophesied had decided she was going to stay in bed that morning because she just wasn't, didn't really feel like she could get out and get to church. It's been a long week, Pastor. I need my rest. No, see, God used her as his mouthpiece in that moment to change the course of human life. And in doing so, the ripple effect of that life is all these young people that have come to Jesus just in the year 2023 alone. When is the church at its best? When it's mobilized to do the things God has called us to do. Let me ask you this question. 
is where it gets sticky. We know when the church is at its best. When is the church at its most ineffective? I'm sitting down so I can't step on your toes this morning. You know that I love you. When is church at its most ineffective? When it is divided over the unimportant and non-eternal. When it is divided over the unimportant and non-eternal. When deacons have to break up fights in committees over the color of the paint on the wall, the church is at its worst. When people can't fellowship with one another because of doctrinal disagreements. I don't believe that healing's for today. Well, I do. Well, we can never be friends. You know what? Eternity's going to suck if that's the reality because we're all going to be together for a very long time. I said this to a friend recently. Your relationships in God's kingdom are the most precious thing you have. It's one of the only things you'll bring with you into eternity. The church is most ineffective when it's divided over the unimportant. I don't mind dividing over the really important things like, is Jesus the savior of the world? Are there 25 different ways to the father? No, I will absolutely draw a line on that one, right? But we cannot afford to be squabbling and divided over the non-eternal and unimportant. I want you to know there is a place for you at this church, even if you don't agree with me on everything that I believe. I'm telling you, some folks, they, they come from various backgrounds that are very different from the background I came from. I come from a crazy background, a wild background. Some of it's really good, thank you. <laughs> some of it's really good, and some of it's really weird. And I spit out the bones, just like any good person that's eating chicken wings. You just enjoy the meat, thank God for the meat, spit the bone out. I've seen some crazy stuff in my years, and I've learned how to spit out the stuff that doesn't really remind me and reflect of God. So if you you don't come from a background like I do, if you weren't a holy roller, there's still a seat with your name on it here. We can do life together. Amen? Because we're not going to divide over the unimportant and the non-eternal. That stymies the calling and the purpose of God for this church which is to reach the Watauga County and the counties surrounding us at any cost, anything short of illegal or immoral, we will do to reach the lost. you understand? When is the church at its most ineffective? Number one, when it's divided over the unimportant. Number two, when it's apathetic and distracted. When it's apathetic and distracted. A Christian that will tolerate distraction is a Christian whose passion for God will diminish. I want you to sit with these words as much as you can. I've been sitting with them all week. You know, sometimes when I challenge you, it's easy to think that I'm, not, that I'm the one challenging you, and it's maybe hard to remember that God challenged me first before he asked me to challenge you. So we're all in this together. The Christian that will tolerate distraction is the Christian whose passion for God diminishes. Here's the harsh reality of competition in 2023 in America. We are experiencing more competition for our attention than ever before, ever. And can I, if you'll let me, can I pastor you for just a moment? Media, Social activities, clubs, sports, travel, vacation, all those things are wonderful. But I don't want to exchange my place in God's house for them. This place is my priority. You say, well, you're the pastor. No, I'm part of the body, just like you are. Pastor, what about, what about burnout? What about overcommitment? Pastor, I need to get away. I need to get away. I need to get quiet. I need to get away. If I struggle to get myself to church, but I'm simultaneously feeling burned out, then I have to have the honesty to look myself in the mirror and recognize that the source of my burnout is not God's house. 
right? Let's just bring it right down to this. I'm going to do like John Maxwell, put the cookies on the bottom shelf where we can all get to them. Okay. Again, I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching in the mirror too. If you're sensing some conviction, then I want to encourage you to lean into it for a second this morning. Lean into the conviction. Why? That's the Holy Spirit talking to you and wooing on your heart. No conviction? That's fine too. Just don't let yourself think this is really good for someone else. Oh, so-and-so really needs to hear this. No, you rascal, you're just as bad. You're just in the mirror just like the rest of us. We all need to hear this. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to hear this. Now say, so do you. (laughs) You need to hear this and so do you. Listen, because God knew that this world would constantly be pressuring us, away from his kingdom and away from his church, he gave us a heads up about it in the scripture. God loves us enough to tell us what we need to hear. God knew that sometimes as human beings, our selfishness would get in the way of, or would get the best of us rather. He knew that we would want the benefits of God's house without investing ourselves into the sacred community of the church. And so he gave us his word to help us out. Can you look at Hebrews chapter 10? I might sit down more often. This is really nice. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10, begin in verse 23 and read through verse 25. I'll read it first for you in the New King James, and then I want to read it to you in the NIV because it says something really powerful. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Aren't you thankful that God is faithful? And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day? The day of his return. I tell you what, if they were talking about the day of his return when these scriptures were written, we ought to be really talking about it now. This was 2,000 years ago. Listen to this from the NIV. This is very encouraging. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, the closer we get to God's return, to the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the more distraction there will be to keep us out of his house. And can I tell you this? The, the closer you get as an individual to the return of the Lord, whether, whether he comes in your lifetime or you die and go see him, the closer you get, the more reason there is to turn loose, to let go of meeting together. He says, hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. He he wrote that because he knew we'd want to swerve. Right? You see, we live a swerving lifestyle. Swervy. Have you ever been in the road and had to swerve to miss something? Have you ever tried to build a life that way? Hard to get settled. I mean, if you, if you and I live a life that is purely reactionary to everything, whoa, whoa. You know, I, I've noticed this in my life. The, the times when I swerve the most are the times when I'm most distracted. <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit that. I'll be doing this. Going down the road. And then all of a sudden, and you're like, oh, let me swerve back into the lane. Y'all know when you hit the noise strips on the side of the road because you've been looking at your phone. What's going on in the big game? 
He, he, he said, hold unswervingly to the hope because he knew we would want to swerve. He said, spur one another on because we're not going to want to spur or be spurred. He said, not giving up meeting because he knew we'd want to give it up. He knew that we'd want to exchange some things for the sacredness of his house. He goes on to say, don't give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing. Missing out on church can become a habit. Don't let it be. Don't let it be. You see, why? Because he goes on to say, encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. See, there's encouragement waiting for you here in the house of God. <clears throat> there's life-giving reality being poured out of God's word. There's opportunity to lay our burdens and cares down at the foot of Jesus' cross and pick up the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, as we enter into his presence together. And no matter what you think, you can't have that happen by yourself. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray. I'm not saying that you can't worship in your car. I worship in my car all the time. I love it. I pray all the time incognito when people are not looking, like at the grocery store. I love it. I drove down to Wilkesboro yesterday to pick up a tool from a guy I bought on Facebook Marketplace. He duped me, by the way. <laughs> sort of duped me. There's a little piece missing. I'm going to have to get replaced. Anyways, if you're watching. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I drove down to Wilkesboro yesterday with my dog, and I prayed the whole way. It was wonderful. I have wonderful times with the Lord, but I wouldn't trade those times with the Lord for, for what I get here. I wouldn't only ever want those times with the Lord because, I mean, we touched the heart of God this morning in worship. We got the opportunity to lay our burdens down. We got the opportunity to put our arm around somebody and give and receive encouragement. Give and receive the thing that mobilizes the church to be at its best. We are a gathering people. And this place is full of divine appointments and connections. We are a gathering people. That's one of the things that made COVID lockdown so challenging. We're meant to be together. Can I tell you something? There are people right now your brothers and your sisters in the underground church in China and Malaysia and Saudi Arabia and Algeria and the Philippines, people all over the world that would give everything that they possess to be able to have the ability to gather publicly in the name of Jesus. We cannot afford to prioritize the things of this world when our brothers and our sisters are literally laying their lives down just to be able to gather. We're better than that. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 because I'm going to leave you on a high note and on a note of joy. Y'all doing okay this morning? You still love me? All right. Huh. Say he's pretty insecure. He's always asking people if they love him. <laughs> no, we're in the sacred assembly this morning. Everybody can relax. We're good. Listen, God is building us up together as his church. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Again, I'm reading from the from the NIV. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. 
I'm here to tell you this morning and hopefully encourage you and stir you up to believe that God is building up Hope Church to become a radiant church, a radiant body of his people. And I want to invite you to come and be a part of that. This is your invitation to be a part of what God is building. He's building something significant within us. Peter says that we are living stones in the building that God is piecing together called his church. What an amazing thought. You ever watch somebody put a house together or put a, put a, put a wall together? I can remember when I was in high school, uh, one of the jobs I worked was I was working as an electrician's apprentice. I spent the summer working for an electrician that we went to church with, and he gave me a job, and it was great fun. I learned a lot. And, and I can remember one time we were working on this home, this real big house. And for some reason, this is one of those modern homes, you know, where everything's like right angles and it's all squares and rectangles and stuff. And this is a very unique house. They had poured a concrete slab. They built up the walls of concrete, uh, of, of cinder blocks. And then they poured another slab in the second floor. And then they built up the walls further with concrete block. And it was our job as the electricians to go in ahead of time and start to run wires through the block before, before they kept going. And I remember watching these guys piece this wall together. It was fascinating how fast they could build a wall. These masons could build a wall out of these blocks. And I remember thinking of that verse in 2 Peter where he says we are living stones that God is piecing together. You have a place in the wall. You have a place in the building that God is piecing together. He is building us up to become a radiant church, a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle. And you have a place in it. This is your invitation. This is your invitation. Come and be involved. Don't be an island. Don't be an island. Don't be off in the distance somewhere where we can't see you, where we can't touch you, where you can't see us. We're here for one another. This is God's church. I want to close with a story of a message that we received from one of the people who comes to our church, one of the partners of our church here. This was last year. I'll, I'll, I'll stay as ambiguous as I can so you, you're not trying to figure out who it is. This person reached out to us and they were going through a really difficult time. And they said, they began to express how the challenging season that they were going through had really kind of sucked them dry of hope. They were just really in a hopeless position. And they said that there came a moment when they were considering taking their own life. They had reached a place where it had gotten really low. And they said they were considering ending their life. And they said, in that moment, I remember the words that Pastor Josh said all the time at the end of our services. We never leave this place without saying, Jesus loves you, and we love you, and your life counts. They called the office or messaged the office to let us know that in that moment when they were at, the, at this, this, this fork in the road to decide whether to live or whether to die, what they remembered in that moment was, Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts. That is the church at its best. That is the church being who God has called the church to be. You, you, you got a part in the wall. You're a living stone. 
If this is your church home, praise God. Be a part of it. Get, it, get into the wall, man. It's fun being part of the wall. Don't let the enemy distract you. To take your mind and to take your time and to take your affections in other places. Why? Why the church? Because we've got a calling to redeem the world around us. We've spent this most of this year reiterating the, the, the finer points of the vision that God called us to, to be and to have. A house of hope for strong families. A house of hope for transformation in the lives of people. A house of hope for our community. I'm so excited for the opportunity that we have to embrace that and to live it every single week. Vanessa called me and sent me pictures and sent me stuff from Pay and Pray last night. God, my heart was just erupting. I was so happy. Here we are doing what we say we're about in the community. We come here on a Wednesday night and we pray. We just we prayed this past Wednesday. It was phenomenal prayer time. Unbelievable. Wow, we're touching heaven, believing God for transformation. We're doing what we say we're about. Next week we're going to celebrate 10 years of ministry. And I'm here to tell you for the next 10 years, the vision hasn't changed. It will just continue to intensify. And all that we learned in the last 10 years is setting us up to do so much more in the coming 10, in the coming 20, in the coming 30. I'm here to tell you, I have no plan B, guys. None. This is it. Have you got time for one more story? Before we started this church, my wife and I lived in Fort Myers, Florida. And I used to drive about 35 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that, up north to the city of Northport to meet with Pastor Don Richter, who you guys will get to meet next week. And we used to meet, Frankie, at Cracker Barrel, because, you know, the anointing. And I would sit at Cracker Barrel with my notebook and Pastor Don would just unload, double barrel, everything I needed to know to help me be a pastor. I'd say a good 60, maybe 70% of it went right over my head. But I wrote down as much as I could in those moments. And I remember this. He asked me why I wanted to move to Boone, North Carolina. Brianna and I were comfortable. We were pregnant with Claire. We were living in a very nice place. We both had jobs, security. I had been made the assistant pastor at the church we were a part of. Things were great. We had a dog. It was great. Easy. It was easy. And he said, why do you want to go plant this church in this little town in the mountains? I said, Pastor Don, I don't know. I, I just really believe God's called us to. All I could say was, I just have it in my heart. It's burning in me. I don't know. I can't explain it. I, it's hard for me to write it down on paper, but I just know that it's burning inside of me. And he said, good. He said, remember that when it gets tough. Remember that it was God who called you. When people leave, when you're, when you you know, when, when your biggest giver tells you that if you don't change the color of the carpet, they're out of there, you know, those kinds of stuff. You hear all those horror stories, you know. He said, remember that. And then he, then he asked me this. He said, how long are you going to stick it out for up there? How long are you going to plan to be there in Boone, North Carolina? And I thought, well, I'm going to give him a good spiritual answer. I thought, oh, I don't know, Pastor Don, 20, 
25 years, maybe 30 years. I'm racking my brain to think about how long do pastors normally pastor for before they retire. I wanted to give them a good answer, you know. I said, I don't know, pastors, 25, 30 years. I thought he'd be impressed. He said, oh, that's good. He said, just one problem. I said, what? He said, it's not long enough. really? He said, if you are going to go pastor a church, you need to prepare to do it like it's the only thing you're going to do for the rest of your life. You need to let God use you in that. And I can tell you that up to this point, I've endeavored the best I know how to do that. It hasn't been easy. We've come through a lot of crazy, tough, difficult seasons. I'm here to tell you, I'm more excited about Jesus' church now than I ever have been in my life. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to quit. I can't tell you how many times my wife has jerked the slack out of me in the kitchen. I, I, I pour my heart out. I love you so much. I love you. I couldn't do this life without you. I'd sit and pour my heart out about whatever the latest grievance is. So-and-so did this. Somebody said that. Oh, they were here. Oh, they weren't there. Oh, they showed up, but they had a bad attitude. Oh, they did this. Oh, somebody forgot this. Somebody, but, oh, oh, man. Mondays, man. Mondays are tough when you're a pastor. It's like, oh, oh, I just, oh, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. Brian Rose look at me and say, well, it looks like you need to give that to the Lord. <laughs> You know what? She's right. Why am I telling you all this this morning? Because I believe with all of my heart that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important thing on God's agenda. I believe the local church is the most important thing on God's agenda. Literally everything else that happens for the kingdom of God in this earth comes through and out of a local church somewhere. Hallelujah. Amen. So I'm here to tell you, I ain't stopping. And I don't want you to either. Come along on this journey. Be a stone in the wall. Be a living stone. Let's do what God's called us to do. Because it's going to be powerful. Can you stand to your feet this morning? I've gone over my time. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.